Welcome to Open World. I'm TK. And I'm Rose. And this is a show about hopeful futures and how to bring them just a tiny bit closer. And on today's episode, we're leaving everything behind. Yeah, it's scary, but sometimes you got to do it. Yep. Let's find out how. And now, This Planet Needs a Name by Evan Tess Murray. Heading out? Done for now, I think. More we'll have to wait until you get down there tomorrow and take a look around. Still sure you don't want to be first? Why hog all the fun? I have plenty to do up here for now. All right. See you tomorrow. See ya. At least she didn't tell me to get some sleep. Loose ends to wrap up. Ship, open a channel to... Cancel. I need to stretch my legs anyway. Oh, hey, boss. Don't call me that. Sure, boss. Have you seen Cyrus or James? I need to catch up with them. Uh, James is in the infirmary. Uh, Need me to find Cyrus? I'll figure it out. Thanks. It's Zahava. Do you have a moment? I need to check in with you. You could just come in. It's the infirmary, not my private quarters. What can I say? I'm very polite. Looking forward to tomorrow, are you? Forward, down, some other directions, maybe. Did you just make a joke? No. Good. Because it wasn't funny. What did you need? You haven't signed off on the plans for the clinic we're seating downstairs. Cyrus needs to finalize it all tonight. Ah, that. I thought it looked fine. I'll let him know. You might be stuck with it a while. Is it big enough? Unless our plans change catastrophically, it should be fine. More concerned about the limitations on the medical former, but I may do with less in worse places. I'll get Cyrus on designing you an upgrade. Well, if that's all you need... I'd like to get back to the rousing conversation I was having with the infirmary's former. Maybe I should send Cyrus to you directly. Nah, I'm actually pretty fond of the little bastard. The former, not Cyrus. Although he's alright. Alright. Don't forget to sign off on the plans. On it. Feel free to see yourself out. Ship, open a channel to Cyrus Personal. Cyrus, where are you? I want to check in. Oh, hi, boss. Don't call me that. Never again, don't worry. I'm in the kitchen. Come by, you probably didn't eat anything. I'll be right there. Anything in particular you're working on right now? If you stop interrupting me, you'll see when you get here. (laughs) Hey. Which way is the kitchen again? Green line? Green line. Mm-hmm. 
What do you have there? I have been making cheese. We already have cheese. Better cheese. This is what you think is the most important thing to do the night before we go down to the surface for the first time. Have you ever had truly good cheese? This is queso palmero. Palmero? As close as I can get without any goats from La Palma. Don't make goats. You know I don't do biologicals. Except cheese? Food is an exception. It is also not alive. Right. Good. I did want to check in with you about tomorrow, though. Can you, can you put the cheese programming aside? Of course, boss. You said you wouldn't call me that. I'm sure everyone will stop soon. It's a good thing I love you all. Anyway, tomorrow. I just got confirmation from James that the clinic is good to go. He said he'd sign off on it. He did. I just put the seed into production. Excellent. Any other loose ends? You tell me. You know that it's dangerous, right? We might run into some unforeseen, horrible circumstances. Yes, of course. And you're prepared for that? Unforeseen circumstances are hard to prepare for. If you can prepare for them, they're foreseen. Yes. So, you're feeling good about this, then? It should be very interesting. I'll take that as an I'm all set, Sahaba. Thanks for checking. Yes, Sahaba. Thanks for checking. See you in the morning. Wait. What? You didn't try the cheese. Really? The cheese? It would mean a lot to me if you would sample this cheese. I work very hard on this. <sighs> Fine. Oh. That is good. Very much, um... Cheese. I don't really know from cheese, but it's cheese for sure. Even if it's not quite queso palmero. I can almost taste the goat that isn't there. I'll take a chunk for the road. Knowing that you approve makes my life here complete, boss. Cut it out. See you tomorrow. So it's red back to the bridge, and I know my way home from there for sure. Ship. General announcement. Evening all. You should be winding down. As you know, tomorrow, Cyrus and I are going down to the surface. Given everything we know, we don't anticipate any problems, but as he pointed out for me, we can't prepare for the unforeseen because we can't foresee it. I don't want to take this step too lightly. If you're able to meet up tomorrow to see us off, that would mean a lot. You'll have it in your planners already. And if you're secretly harboring resentment that you don't get to be the first one on our new home, either come talk to me about it right the fuck now or prepare to live disappointed for the rest of your life. See you tomorrow. Zahava out. <sighs> Last evening on board. I feel like I should make it special somehow, but... It's not like the ship feels like home. All that time unconscious doesn't count. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Shakol Niyah Bidvaru. I 
think that's probably the right blessing for former made cheese you eat after sundown floating above the new world. do something out of stories. My feet will walk on earth that is not of earth. And it's so beautiful from here, so bright. You would be delighted and the scholars would be discussing it all. So many disputations. But we have no Talmudic scholars here, just me to dispute with. What will it mean for all the stories you've told me to be alive on a new world? <laughs> if the crew could only hear me now. Tough Zahava, lying around, wondering about how long stories live and how we make meaning. You'd like them, I think. All of them. They're hardworking and kind most of the time. I know they'd like you. There are just a few of us, but we're carrying so many, and I don't just mean literally. People worried that it would be a lonely existence. But how can I be lonely when I hear you in my mind every day? I am, though, a bit lonely. Only in the quiet, dark parts where so busy otherwise but this is the part where I sit and tell you all the stories of my day and you laugh and cry and hold me would you believe the best programmer on earth who isn't on earth anymore spent his last evening on this ship replicating some sort of fancy cheese Oh, and, as of today, they're all calling me boss because they know I don't want them to and they think it's funny. Funny. Tomorrow, I'm so excited. I can't quite believe no one else wanted to be first. Cyrus is coming down too, but it's just because he needs to do the work. I don't think he cares very much, but for me, the first feat 
on our new planet. How could I not be excited? I hope it's as pretty up close. Everything indicates we should be able to breathe the air. This is so far from what we planned. We trained for the worst case, for living up here until we could construct a habitat remotely, for all the work of redesigning the atmosphere itself. Instead, it's something out of a fantasy novel. A whole world waiting for us. I'm still not sure it feels real. Maybe I won't believe it until I know what the air smells like down there, or what the ground under us feels like, where the gravity is real. <sighs> I need to sleep so I can make history tomorrow with a clear head. Ship, lights out, please. Good night, my loves. That's today's schedule sorted. What do I have time for? Okay. Uh, ship, record voice message to storage marked Jamil. Hey, Jamil. I told you I'd try not to leave out anything important, and since I don't know what's going to be important, I'm trying not to leave out anything. Most of the landing crew is up now. I'm pulling them out of suspension, one at a time, giving everyone a little support while they settle in. I'm getting the last one in a few minutes. Uh, Zahava and Cyrus are on the way to the surface right now. They're planting the seeds for our landing settlement. <laughs> At this point, I can say that like it's nothing special. Which is ridiculous? It's amazing, man. They're growing us a village next to the base of a space elevator on a brand new planet. It's exactly what we dreamed of as kids, you know? I live in the future. You're gonna love it here. I wish I could see your face when you wake up and see everything we've built. I should go soon. I want to get the timing right for our agriculture guy. He's sweet. You'd like him. He loves all the plants, like they're his kids. Even the algae vats. Speaking of which, there's something for your history books. All those years in stasis, and the algae vats are still full of green slime. No human oversight needed. I can't be the only one who's noticed that things are going awfully well so far. You know me, I'm not superstitious. Especially for a pilot. Everyone else always had a dozen rituals before takeoff, and I just ran through my checklists. I used to pretend I had lucky socks just to get everyone else to leave me alone about it. <laughs> I could never remember which ones were meant to be the lucky ones, though. I kind of wish I had them now. I I'm heading over. I hope these recordings help you out. It's still a little weird to think about how will be your history. Anyway, talk to you soon, friend. Hey there, buddy. Ready for this? Uh, 
easy. It's it's okay. You're okay. You're safe. I'm here. Breathe. There's there's nothing in your stomach. I promise. Just hold my hand and breathe through it. Uh, you're coming out of suspension. That's why you don't remember anything. It will all come back in a minute. In a minute? It it won't be long. Your quill. I'm Mandry. I'm your friend. Mandry. Yes. It's okay. There's no rush. You don't have to sit up yet. It will be easier if you don't try to move until you're not so dizzy. Did you feel like this? You're starting to remember. Yes. Only I was alone. And the Grissom generator was off, so I had amnesia and was floating around, and there was no one to tell me not to bother vomiting. That sounds... It wasn't the best. That's why I'm here. Ready to sit up? I'll help. I think I can stand. Maybe. Oh, uh, hold on. I'll get I'll get you a robe. Thanks. You can lean on me if you're still dizzy. A bit, yeah. Are you Ready to try to walk? There's something you should see. Mandry, the plants, how are they? Do you, do you need me to go check on them? Oh my God. No, no, I mean, the, the plants are fine. I mean, they're alive. It's kind of a jungle in there because they spent years without any idea about which way it's down, but they seem to have adapted okay, and I'm sure that Oh, yeah, after... no, no gravity. I just turned the Grissom back on a bit ago when I started waking everyone else up. Right, right, you trained for it. Right. But the rest of you really like knowing which way is down. Anyway, the plants can wait. I promise. Can you walk with me? Sure. I'm a little wobbly. I got you. Okay, so what's here? Trust me. You brought me to look out the window? Yes. It's all dark. Wait. No stars. Is is that the planet? It sure is. Is there a reason you wanted me to see it in the dark? Have some patience. I've been asleep for decades. How much more patience do you want? About... Here we go. Wait. Wait, is that... Are those... clouds? Yep. Clouds! Oh, Coley, it must be so excited! So... so it has an atmosphere. Sure does. Keep watching. Oh, it's so... blue, green... and black? Oh, what a pretty turquoise color. But... is that water? Actually, the black parts are water. We think. Wait, what's the blue part? That's what I wanted to show you. That's the land. Some of it, anyway. And it's blue? Well, that seems to be what color the vegetation tends toward here. Mandry? Yes? Are you telling me? Yes? There are plants down there? And animals. We're looking at, well, that big patch is a forest. Oh, a forest! A forest! Well... I don't know if things are really trees, but 
Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I knew you'd love it. That's why you brought me here now. Yeah. Do you want me to show you where your cabin is from here? You need some rest. Actually, I want to watch a little while longer. That's okay. Of course. Um, I, I think you're standing on your own okay now. Do you want me to go? Can you... can you stay a while? Yeah. I can stay. easier if I wait longer. Come on. Um. Hi, Landron. I've been trying to record this a while, and it never comes out quite right, so this time I'm just gonna do this and send it, and your mom promised to give it to you when she thought it was best, so (laughs) I don't know how old you are right now, but, um, Anyway, I'm Corinna Zygen. Uh, people usually call me Zy. We just got here. And for now, uh, I'm in orbit, waiting at Central for the shuttle that'll take me down to our first settlement. I'll, I'll be pretty busy soon. I... I can't stop thinking about the last time I saw you. You were walking, but you weren't very good at it yet. Every few steps, you'd fall down on your butt, and you'd always look so surprised and offended. Like, how dare gravity think it could have any effect on you? But then you'd look up into our eyes, and you'd laugh. Every time you laughed. Sometimes you even clapped and said, yay! You were amazing, baby. You didn't have a lot of words yet. You called me Zaza. I know that sometime far in my future, you're going to wake up in a new world. You're going to have to learn to walk all over again, through new grass, under a new sky. Hell, it'll be your first grass, your first sky, and the only world you'll ever know. But, but, um, Lantern, baby. I won't be there. Thing is, for you to have this new and better world, I have to stay behind and make it. I just want you to know, baby, that I wish I could be there to see you walking under the bright sky with your mom. I wish I could watch you grow up. It's, uh, it's, it's okay that I can't. It's worth it. It's so worth it. Don't ever worry about that, okay? I want you to know 
that you are so loved. You're the best thing your mom and I ever made together. I don't know what you'll do with your life, but I know it will be amazing. And take care of your mom for me too, okay? We made some hard choices, and it's too late to take them back now. But I want her to know it's all right. It'll be all right. So, Landra, <laughs> baby, there's one way I'll still be with you. My name is on the blueprints for your whole planet. Every time you flip on a light switch, that's me, okay? You'll have light because I love you. Every day. Always. Your Zaza loves you, baby. Go be amazing. Shuttle's prepped. Loading in a few. Are you ready? Hi. Uh, yeah. I'm just about good to head out. Got to, uh, take a quick detour to storage. Need a hand with anything? No. No. This one's all mine. But thank you. I'll see you at the landing bay, yeah? I'm already here. See you soon. touched my heart. I feel so many things right now for this story we just heard. It's about pioneering and it included so many different people and cultures, which is not really something you see in the movies about people going to plant their flag somewhere. So I really, really appreciated This Planet Needs a Name for that. What'd you take from it, Rose? I love the joy in it in the my favorite scene. There's so many great scenes. My favorite scene is when the scientist wakes up and is asking about the plants and getting so excited yeah. that there are plants on this planet. Just that joyousness, that sort of feeling of awe and wonder and discovery, even amidst sort of fear of what's going to happen, knowing you're taking a huge risk. Yeah. You know, all of those things, but to just have that really lovely balance between those things. Yeah. And this idea that people could care about a future so much that they could sacrifice their present for it, mm -hmm. that got me right there. And I, I just want to make sure that we say that this planet needs a name. So this is like vignettes of mm -hmm. five different parts. But if you go into their feed, um, there'll be an extra part for you to listen to. So so we gave you a little snippety version, but you yes. get bonus and like full full shows in the This Planet Needs a Name feed. 
Yeah, this is like sampler platter A when you really want sampler platter B that has like all the stuff. Exactly. So like for nineteen ninety nine, you know, you just get a little bit more over there. But <laughs> <laughs> plus shipping and handling, okay? <laughs> well, we got the interviews, so that's what they don't have. You know, before we get into that, first a short commercial break, and then we'll come back with a conversation with Evan Tess Murray of This Planet Needs a Name. Thank you so much for coming on the show, talking about this piece. This was really fun. We just listened to it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. Yeah. So let's start with maybe the origin story of this project. How did this whole This Planet Needs a Name project begin for you? I have been listening to audio drama for quite a while and absolutely love it and kept getting inspired and wanting to make my own pieces and running into bumps like that I had never written a screenplay or script and that I have never recorded or edited audio and similar things. So I just had a head full of stories. So some of the setting and story was already there. I went to Podtails where I talked to a million creators, many of whom were incredibly invitational. Like people kept saying, so what's your show? And I was like, oh, I don't have a show. And they'd say, really? Are you sure? Um, And by the time I left, I thought, I wanted to take this scrap of an idea that I had and turn it into something. Remembered that I had this dear friend I hadn't talked to in most of a decade who does audio and just got in touch and said, hey, Trace, do you want to make a baby that is a podcast? Um, And she said yes. So the ideas for the show, the, the kind of central thesis and theme, the hopefulness, all of that was already in my head. Uh, And then I talked to Trace, who was very thoroughly on board. And then we threw together an audition about two days later, uh, cast, and in the next two weeks got everything up and running. Um, Decided to jump and see if I could figure out how to fly on the way down. Yeah. (laughs) So what listeners just heard is actually sort of a a little bit of a snippety snip up of a couple of different things that you've worked on and it doesn't have all of the prologues in it so maybe can you talk to us a little bit about the bits that they may have not heard but they can go listen to very easily on your website (laughs) sure so when we did these originally they were four separate chunks released one at a time as once a week as sort of teasers the second one um, is the one that when we we put them all together into a full prologue but then for the purpose of of this we cut it because cut one piece out um, for time mostly and so if they listen to the full one there is a whole section in there with a character that they have not met yet whose name is Colian. they are a weather expert and climatologist and uh it's a it was our second released prologue and the actor in it is my uh colleague and partner in making this thing trace callahan who is also <laughs> the audio engineer composer sound designer does all her own foley and acts one of the characters because we like having as many jobs as possible. You get to hear Trace uh, as Colian um, talking to a bunch of satellites and some more singing. 
in the in some of the sort of social media and website of for this project, you say that this is an audio drama that's suitable for our times. Um, I, I would love for you to say a little bit more about that and like what that means to you. That is a, almost a tongue in cheek way of me referencing um, the fact that we are very deliberately hope punk, that especially when I started dreaming this thing up, but including now, uh, it feels like a fairly grim world a lot of the time. We have the challenges we face are very much in our face. And a lot of our fiction grapples with that in a lot of different ways. I want to grapple with that, not by pretending it's not there, but by telling a story that still allows us to have moments of joy, of laughter, that allows the hard things to be meaningful. So when I say suitable for our times, I mean, maybe you need to step outside of the grim things for a little while, or maybe you need a world where we can acknowledge that grim is real, but so is hope, so is joy. Um, so is the sense of wonder. So that's really what I mean. Um, also, I'm telling the story I need. So there's that. It's interesting. It's a hopeful piece, but it's also about like sacrifice and loneliness and, and mm -hmm. there's crying in it. And there's, you know, a lot of very intense emotions. <laughs> yes. It does have that hopefulness to it, but it also is not, like you say, like naive about what it takes in attempting to sort of build a better future. And I'm curious how you think about that, the idea of sacrifice and and what it takes to kind of get us to a better place. Oh, OK. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess I personally do find something very beautiful in people willingly giving things up in order to try to create something better. Um, a lot of my personal life and my work is actually connected to that, my work beyond podcast land. Um, is about collective action and people who are civically engaged. And all of those themes do, I guess, show up. Um, I'm less interested in grand stories about what we as a society can sacrifice for the greater good, but I am deeply interested in stories about what individual people may choose to give up for the well-being of others. Um, and I suppose when I create people, I like them to be people who think that way. I know that for each of the characters I had to think, we are talking about somebody taking a one-way trip to live a very lonely life. Who does that and why? Who would choose to do this and who would be chosen to do this? Um, I was a bit tired of stories about six people in a spaceship who don't get along with each other uh, because why would you do that <laughs> on purpose? <laughs> so that was also part of the central theme was these are folks who chose this and who were chosen for this and generally speaking are pro-social uh, and generally speaking like each other as humans. So that was, that was also a piece of what I was trying to say. Uh, and I hadn't thought of it specifically as a sacrifice until you used that word. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, it's so it's fascinating to me because, right, we're gathering up hopeful stories, right? And, and so that's the whole mm -hmm. open world is like really invested in trying to gather up these stories that are hopeful without being naive, without being sort of, you know, too blasé about the future. And a theme that shows up in almost every one of them is loneliness. Oh. It doesn't always show up in the same way. Sometimes it's loneliness because in the future we don't have certain things anymore and we're having to kind of connect over other things. And, you know, or it's loneliness because it is people who've sort of decided to try this thing and, and been been on their own. But I'm curious if you have any thoughts as to why why loneliness might show up in so many of these hopeful futures. Is there something inherently lonely in the in the act of even trying to be hopeful right now? Oh, yeah. I feel like moving forward, I'm not 
trying to tell a specifically lonely story, but it absolutely did start there. Um, and I think you might be getting at something um, that I like to think that the evolution of hope punk as a, as a genre might do something about, which is that it does feel, right now, hopefulness in general feels defiant, incredibly so. In my office, we talk about that, defiant optimism, hope as a choice, not as a default setting, uh, which is also what I'm attempting to write. But it feels, a, it does feel a bit like you're walking out of step when you look at the world as it is and you say, I am not going to act as though my choices don't matter. I'm going to go ahead and act like all of it does matter. A better future is possible and we're going to get there. Uh, I'm going to grit my teeth and grin about this while we try very hard to get there. It's a raised fist of optimism. But I can see there might be a, a pretty steady theme going on there of people who start out going like, but I'm the only one choosing this thing. Or what if there's only a few of us who really care? I don't think it's true. I think a lot of people really care personally. <laughs> <laughs> I I want to believe. Um, and, and this has also come up a couple of times where people didn't want to write the same white guy colonizes new planet version of kind of like <laughs> moving into these other planets. And, and you you would there's multiple pieces in this um, in in the story that kind of like subvert some of those tropes in ways that I think are really delightful. But I am curious how you how you as a writer think about how do you tell a story where people are going into the space looking for a new planet and sort of avoid some of those like colonization tropes and ideas and in the context of like building a better future and maybe not replicating the mistakes that humans have made in the past in this same sort of type of adventuring. Well, thank you for pointing out the corner I am writing myself into as we speak. <laughs> um, and hoping that I can write my way through for the piece for this piece, which was intended to set up much more story. Um, we really only touch on it. So it's a way of there are a lot of little things in there, as you say, that are my ways of start trying to say this is not your standard colonization narrative. Um, we will be more thoughtful about that. Uh, but the truth is, moving forward, uh, the way that we're dealing with that is by talking about it quite directly. Um, so attempting to subvert the trope of, look, we are colonizing a new planet and that's the best thing anyone has ever done, um, literally by confronting it quite directly. And I think that by staying very close to the experience and being as honest as possible and as sincere as possible about the fact that that's a hard story to tell, I think we'll get there. All science fiction is a commentary on now. That's what it does. Our commentary on now has to be like, something that acknowledges what colonialism does, what colonization is, or I can't tell a colonization story that's honest. So that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, time will tell if I do it well, I suppose. One of my favorite moments in the piece is when the character is woken up and discovers that there are living things on this planet and they're blue and like the plants are <laughs> like this sort of like magical science moment. I'm curious if there are any sort of specific bits of, you know, science or something that you had read that like inspired not just necessarily that moment, but like the pieces of this that like whether it's the engineered cheese or like <laughs> whatever it is that's on in the in the story, like if there was anything that sort of from, uh, you know, I don't want to say reality to, to set it against this, but like from sort of like science or or the news or anything that kind of inspired bits and pieces of this. Uh, the cheese. So I have developed a future where we I don't know if anyone has noticed, don't have AI. We have a spaceship that can follow the same kind of voice commands your cell phone can. 
Um, and we have a future where we can program matter. So I essentially decided which way is science going and went in the direction of materials science because I wanted to tell a post-scarcity story because our world is full of scarcity. And if we can have more or less perfectly harnessable energy and the ability to make stuff out of the building blocks of matter, then we can have the post-scarcity society they like to throw at us in Star Trek, essentially. Um, I'm complicating it beyond that, but i that's where that piece started. It's cheese because I love cheese and because I love Girl in Space, that is a nod. And because it gives us the fun moment of don't make goats and because the actor, Cyrus, the guy who plays Cyrus, is from La Palma where they make queso pamero and I brought in his favorite cheese. Um, that scene is the silliest little moment uh, and hopefully doing a lot of different things at once, but mostly being silly and charming the entire world. And almost everyone's favorite character is initially Cyrus because of the cheese, <laughs> um, which I love. The blue plants are uh, what happens when I hang out with a lot of, or used to anyway, with a lot of xenobiologists. Uh, like literally, I knew a few of them. <laughs> there aren't that many. And I was at a university where they were studying and talking about what life might look like in other places is one of those fun things. Uh, and the color of plants is based on the color of chlorophyll, but there's more than one way to do the kind of chemical processes involved. And in particular, if the color of the star was a little bit different, then the color of the plants would be based on what kind of light they need to absorb and reflect. Uh, and it's pretty easy to imagine a, a bluer star. Um, and that if it's very bright, then more of the plants will have to reflect more of the blue light in order to not burn, basically. Anyway, yes, there's some biology behind it. One of the other things that um, is challenging, I think, many times in telling these kinds of stories is sort of related to what you just mentioned, which is time. Mm. Back to this idea of sacrifice, you're going on this trip that means that you're going to have to sort of leave behind everything you know and speak back in time to like your child. You know, we have, um, you know, we have messages being sent from parent to child sort of like being like, remember this. And and th there's this long stretch of time and kind of moving mm -hmm. through time and time sort of stretches and, and slows in many ways in when you're trying to kind of like do these big not fantastical, but ambitious, perhaps, projects. And I'm curious how you think about that in relation to this idea of hopefulness, right? Like a lot of the time we, I think a lot, many people want the quick fix. Like I want the hope hope to come now and I want the solution to come now and I want us to fix it mm. in the next election cycle or whatever it is. <laughs> and and this is sort of a much longer stretched project, right? This is, this is about something that's going to take generations to kind of like actually see through. Right. And I'm curious how you how you think this idea of time and how long things take connects to hopefulness and perhaps even not just in this piece, but in your work as an organizer as well. <laughs> um, I do tend to think in long-term ways, which um, I work in democracy reform and civic engagement. So I encourage people to vote and work on the systems that make that more possible um, with the sort of extremely optimistic underpinnings of the idea that if more people are able to fully participate in democracy, and it works better if we fix the problems with it, then we as a society will make better choices. Um, but even though I work essentially in politics or politics adjacent, uh, I don't work in election cycles. What I do is, is longer term than that. And I personally uh, prefer to think about building lasting change and not about short term goals or wins, which is helpful because short term goals or wins are if, well, they're short term and often you don't win. 
which makes it really hard to keep momentum going or continue working toward the future. So when it comes to those time horizons, ultimately, I, I think where I come down is that for me, the centerpiece of optimism is assuming you have one. I am assuming we have a good long while to try to work some shit out. That's it. If we don't, <laughs> that's bad. Uh, and so assuming we need to fix it tomorrow, I, I, there are a lot of things I would like to fix tomorrow, and I am absolutely on board with trying to do that. Uh, but my in, my idea in general is usually like, I want to fix it for good. Like when I conceived of the show, we're looking at a very long time scale. We're looking at people leaving everything forever. They don't ever get to go back and they will never see the fruits of their labor. And how that can feel like a hopeful story was really the question. Uh, but for me, it is the, the really inherent optimism of assuming like, sure, maybe it'll take 10,000 years, but it will work. And we have 10,000 years to make it work. Uh, that's really where that sits for me. It sort of ties nicely to my next question, which is about sort of faith, right? Mm. Which is a little bit of what you're talking about. Like you have faith that like we're, we have a little more time maybe than some of the most diehard or uh, catastrophic people perhaps think. I sure hope we do. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's also this interesting other kind of faith that is present in the story, which is you you have we get a Jewish prayer. Mm. Um, and, and I'm curious how you think about in, how you thought about integrating that into the story and sort of where that comes from. Is that something you wrote in? Is that something the actor, I mean, the actor obviously, you know, is quite adept at um, at singing it, which I thought was, was really nice and beautiful. Like, how did that become a piece of the story? That's a Hebrew lullaby that Caroline has sung to her own child. She brought that in. Um, saying the blessing over the cheese, that was my idea. I've known a whole lot of Jewish people who will say more or less exactly that thing. Um, and acknowledging that I, I don't know for sure how I'm supposed to do this thing, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do my best at it. So that's how Zahava became Jewish. That's how Zahava came into existence. Um, I'm very grateful that that's something Caroline brought in with her because I have enjoyed writing that aspect of her into the story and allowing it a little room to breathe. So you develop these characters with the voice actors who play them, right? And you, of course, play one of the characters yourself, Zai. So what was that like? So Zai, the character that I play, and originally I thought this might be a basically just me talking thing. So I didn't know where we were going. And when I wrote that initial prologue, my answer to why does someone take a one-way trip like this is to get a better life for her kid. Um, yes, I would do that. But part of Zai's story also came out of the fact that last summer I moved 3,000 miles away from my own five-year-old in a very planned way with everyone involved knowing it was happening and doing our best to prepare. Uh, and it was still, it's its horrible. Um, I recently went and visited. I miss her. We talk a lot. I love her and she knows I do. But walking away from her is very definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. And that feeling, that intense love of the child, that intense desire to make her world better, and the knowledge that me moving away from her was part of that was just what I snapped up. And I was like, well, if I have to process my grief, maybe I can use it in my fiction. Um, and so as I thought, like, maybe Zai is somebody who would give up having her son in her life in order to give him a life he can't get on earth. Um, what does that look like and what does that feel like and who is she? 
Um, and as I so as I developed that, I, I essentially improvised that monologue. Um, and then I thought, maybe that's good and wrote it down, uh, <laughs> more or less. But a lot of it came. Wow. Yeah. Um, a lot of it came from my like the emotion in it, I occasionally get acting notes on it that are like, that's so good. I'm like, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of that is me and my feelings for Ruby. When uh, when Ruby's mom, uh, who is a lovely person and a dear friend, popped up in our online server, she just introduced herself as Landron's mom. Oh. Uh, because, yes. <laughs> because it's very autobiographical, essentially. Uh, I'm not you know, specifically building Ruby a better world. I'm just out here living my life and she's living hers. But uh, but that was the inspiration for that. The question of why do you give up everything can be for your kid. That's, that's a very real thing. Um, but that means giving up everything, you know, including the kid. We ask everyone the same last two questions. Okay. Um, and the first one is, what is your favorite piece of hopeful media? It can be anything. It could be a book, a song, uh, probably not movie or television show for you, but it could be like anything <laughs> that sort of inspires you and makes you hopeful uh, that people can check out. Um, there's a million of them, but the one I'm going to mention is uh, Becky Chambers' Wayfarers series, which I swear every hope punkish person out there knows and loves. Um the Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. I'm actually in the middle of rereading it for like the fifth time right now because it makes me feel feelings that are good. Uh, but everything she writes, in fact, uh, kind of hits that spot for me. Um, and is definitely, it was really funny because I started this podcast before I ever ran into her fiction. Mm. But it's definitely something that is behind and underpinning. Like we're thinking the same way about stories. And uh she gives me a future where things matter and hope is always yeah. a good choice. I have both those books on my shelf. <laughs> and the last question we ask everyone is maybe the hardest question, at least so far has seems to be the hardest question, which is what are you most hopeful about right now? So it's actually the hardest thing about it for me is being specific because I'm actually feeling a lot more hopeful than is probably reasonable right now. <laughs> and part of that is, again, what I do for a living. So for something between 40 and 60 hours a week, uh, I work directly with people who are trying to make the world better. That's what I do. So everyone I talk to day in and day out is mostly volunteering their time to try to fix the problems that they see. And it's honestly really hard not to be optimistic about humanity when you spend that much time with people who, although flawed and imperfect beings, are all driven to try to fix the problems of the world. So it's really hard for me not to be hopeful. I'm feeling pretty hopeful, not that we will solve all of our problems, but that small groups of people, wherever you are, no matter where you are, there is a group of people who are trying to make that specific place better and the experience of living there better and take care of the people who need it. And that gives me hope, a ton of hope. Once I start thinking about the big systems out there and solving the world's problems, that's too big and too hard and I can't fix it. But here where I am, I can. I can work with trans kids, which I do. I can hang out at my office and talk about defiance and optimism with all of my volunteers and my colleagues so we don't stop trying to do what we're doing, which I do. I can contribute to a local LGBT community space and hang out there and meet the people there and try to build something better where I am. So I have a ridiculous amount of hope that I am not the only human who thinks this way. 
And there are a lot of us out there trying to make at least the corner we're in better for the people that are in it with us. Oh, so lovely. Gonna get you a TED Talk stat. Thank you so much for coming on the show, for offering up this piece to us, um, for making, you know, snipping it into a size that we can use for everything and to your whole team as well for holding the torch on on this future. I've been keeping up with the show and I'm very excited for listeners to Open World who have not yet heard it to, to dive in because it is such a fun and delightful little group of people that we get to hang out with in the audio ether. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I was really excited about this. This Planet Needs a Name was created by Evan Tess Murray, who also wrote and directed this episode. Original composition, sound design, and audio engineering are by Trace Callahan. Characters were developed in collaboration with their actors, Carolyn Minx as Zahava, Evan Tess Murray as Zai, Trevor Bean as Mandry, Alexander Dottie as James, Alexander Endemion Hernandez-Diaz as Cyrus, and Sawyer Green as Quill. Open World is a partnership between Philos Future Media and Flash Forward Presents. Hosted by TK Dutess and Rose Eveleth. Produced by Brittany Brown. Intro music by Blue Dot Sessions. Additional sound design by TH Ponders. With engineering by C. You can contact us via social media. We are on the Twitters at Open World Pod. You can email us at hello at openworldradio.com. You can visit openworldradio.com for more about any of what you heard on this show, more links to the amazing creators who we featured here, how to find their work. Also, there are transcripts of each episode up on the website if you want to read those or revisit them. And we really love taking this journey with you. So thanks for coming along for the ride.